If you've ever worked with a student and you thought they would benefit from using an AAC device, but you just weren't sure how they were going to access it, and you just weren't sure which one was right for them, you're going to want to tune in and listen. I talked today with Mara, a speech-language pathologist, and Anna Beth, an OT, and they worked together on assessment and intervention. It's such a great episode. I can't wait for you to tune in. Let's cue that music. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us on episode 11 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Anna Beth, who is an occupational therapist, and Mara, who is an SLP of the Fanny Pack Therapist. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. I'm excited to virtually meet you. I am on Instagram a lot. People probably know that from, this is only episode 11, but I'm pretty sure I say Instagram about 10 times every episode. But I really, you guys have a newer Instagram, I feel like. And when you guys came on the scene, I was just really impressed by just the whole theme of the collaborative effort because I'm very big into collaboration and have a lot of personal friends that are OTs. But I love the idea of the fanny pack therapist. I just, I love, I can't say how much I love the idea of that. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got inspired to uh, be in the fields that you're in? And can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to start the Fanny Pack Therapist on Instagram? Yeah. So I'm going to actually start by saying what inspired us to start the Fanny Pack Therapist. So Mara and I worked together and we had noticed for a while that lots of our colleagues were frequently carrying around really, really big, heavy therapy bags. And using a whole lot of materials that they were prepping, spending a lot of time doing that. We ourselves knew that we had these big bags too and had lots of stuff that we were carrying around that we weren't always using and sort of thought, you know, there has to be a better way. How can we bring more minimalism into therapy but still have really high quality therapy? And so at some point in this conversation, we brought the idea of a fanny pack to use instead of a big therapy bag. And how cool would it be if all you needed, your most important tools could be in that fanny pack? And then also your therapeutic use of self and your knowledge that you have as a clinician are really the most important things that we bring to therapy, right? And so that's sort of what inspired it. Mara and I also just really have bonded as friends over our love for 90s nostalgia. So that was a perfect way to tie it all in. And we've had a lot of fun with our Instagram account, um, bringing that all together. And yes, I love it. And I feel like because I do like some retail therapy, that's why I'm a little dead inside because of COVID, because I do love to like actually go to stores and shop and buy things. And I really haven't been doing that, you know, maybe some loungewear. But I do, I feel like the fanny pack has kind of been making a comeback. So I feel like, you know, you guys using it. And I actually have worked in a lot of specialized programs where people would wear fanny packs. But I mean, you guys have to have like a lot of different fanny packs. Is that like an accessory at work that you really pride yourself on? Yes. And I think since we've started, we probably have purchased a whole lot of fanny packs too. There's a lot on Amazon. So 
during COVID, we've still been able to purchase. Basically, every time I see a fanny pack, if I'm outside, I also love retail therapy. I'm like, oh, I can add this to my collection too. Yes. I love that so much. That's great. Um, Do you guys want to tell us a little bit about how you got started being a speech therapist and an OT and kind of how you know each other? A little background I think would be helpful too. Yeah. So I... I've been practicing as an occupational therapist for about nine years now. Um, I started my career in Philadelphia and worked in an approved private school for kids with cerebral palsy. And so as an OT, I got a lot of experience right away with kiddos who use alternative access, lots of kids who use AAC, and just had a lot of really awesome mentors in that particular workspace. And then moved out to... Wisconsin, where I became Mara's coworker. And we have just worked really, really collaboratively together. As we've already said, we have similar treatment approaches. Mm -hmm. And so that really has led to us wanting to do lots and lots of co-treats. We have a lot of shared clients for that reason. And yeah, have just created a lot of really cool things together. Right. And for me as a speech therapist, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that was the career that was just meant for me. It was the perfect marriage of something in the field of education, but also in the medical field. And there's never a dull moment. I always have kind of gravitated towards working towards children. Those have always been my jobs growing up. And so I knew that I wanted to go in in pediatrics for sure. So I feel like I just fell into the great career, but I love it because there's, I always have fun. I always get to learn and um, it's ever changing. So specifically in my career, I've kind of gravitated towards an interest in AEC. And with that, I really just, as a student, even I kind of geared all my practicums towards more populations with AEC. And um, once I got into practicing I worked in a private practice, so I was a generalist, but I would take in all the AAC clients that I could possibly get. And then once Annabeth started working at the same facility, we kind of learned that each other were both very interested in the same topics. And when our minds were put together, we just loved collaborating and took our AAC practice to a whole new level. That's awesome. And I love that piece of collaborating because I've definitely have across the years, I've been practicing almost 20 years now, but I've had some really cool experiences where I've worked with an OT and we've done vocational groups. And so we would have the students, you know, I would say, okay, go get your vocational binders. And then the students would get their binders and then they would, you know, some students would write their name and we would make that sheet. It was like a a check-in sheet and the, you know, the occupational therapist knew like how it needed to be for each student. And um, that was just cool for me to see how we could modify that writing piece. And then I would do a lesson on, you know, a work skill. Like one time we actually did a lesson on putting on gloves. I don't know if you guys ever work with older students, like if you're going to work in food service, how hard it is to get students to learn how to put gloves, anybody really to put gloves on and not touch your face or anything like that. So I would do a whole lesson. It was really vocabulary enriched. And then she would, we would have little stations that were vocation stations. And I love that. That was like such a cool piece to 
be able to collaborate like that. So I'm excited to have you guys on. One of the things I loved on your Instagram and just wanted you to touch on a little bit. So AAC month is in October and you guys had a really cool Instagram series that caught my ear eye. It was called the ABCs of AAC. Can you just talk to everybody a little bit about, you know, what is AAC month? I honestly don't even know if I knew that October was AAC month, even though I do a lot with AAC, but I guess it's maybe not my main thing. Kind of some of the things you guys talked about and what made you feel inspired to do that on Instagram. Sure. So October is AC Awareness Month. And I feel like there's an awareness day or an awareness month for kind of anything that you can name. I'm not particularly sure about the origins of AC or why October or anything. And I just have known that it's October because of different providers that I've worked for or that I've been in touch with have always announced something of like, it's awareness month. So in this awareness month, we're going to do XYZ. So as a graduate student in October, I did like outreach for AAC for October AAC awareness month. But what inspired us to do the ABCs was actually some occupational therapists back in the spring when it was occupational therapy month did the ABCs of OT. We're like, that's super cool. I think that we can do the ABCs of AAC because there's so many different components in the world of AAC. Right. And so thought that we would just share little tidbits, but get more information shared by doing a letter each day. Yes, it was very catchy. And I I loved it because I think anytime you have any kind of area that you're specializing in, some people may know a little bit about it. But when you do a series like that, it really is good because it kind of gives you that more in-depth knowledge. Um, And I know that that's what we're going to talk about today. So I had you guys on because I'm really excited to hear us hear you talk about AAC evaluation and treatment and how you're kind of doing those things collaboratively. I know that I always come from a place of wanting um, to collaborate. And I talk a lot about and have shared in different... I don't think on the podcast yet, but I had one student I remember that I met. He had no way to communicate. I met him in sixth grade. And I thought, oh, this student is going to be perfect for using Proloquo, which is a certain type of AAC program. And the student was not able to point. So I worked really intently with the student on other ways to communicate. Subsequently, the student now verbalizes and also he started with some sign language and pictures and now he verbalizes. But the the occupational therapist really helped myself and in the entire team really shape the student's ability to point, um, which was such an amazing lifelong skill because now the student is older, the student is in high school and the student is able to navigate on the iPad for leisure. And I think that's such a huge piece of the puzzle, you know, but being able to collaborate and kind of see that step-by-step shaping of how to point. If you think about not being able to point all the things that you activate with that gesture, it's really, really powerful. So I'm excited for you guys to tell us a little bit about, can you talk to us about AAC evaluation and what that might mean and how you kind of do those different things collaboratively? Yeah. So I feel like we always, we always approach AAC evaluation as just this like ongoing process. Even I think when we talk about intervention, we frequently say it's truly like ongoing evaluation um, because you are just continuously building skills and putting some of those pieces together and then evolving what a system will look like um, for a child and how you're going to feature match. 
And so Mara and I have done a lot of a lot of work together, a lot of research and presentations on that collaborative process and how that works. And obviously it will be very different for every single kiddo. And um, as an occupational therapist, my role is going to be different depending on what that client profile looks like and where a child is in their communication journey. But as you said, very frequently physical access is a big piece of what the occupational therapist is evaluating. Um, And there are lots of other components as well. I think for lots of our clients who have ASD, we're looking at how the environment is impacting their communication, how um, their sensory processing skills are impacting, how they're communicating, when they're communicating, what they need to communicate about. Um, But yeah, Mara, do you want to add in some pieces specifically on evaluation? Yeah, so I think part of the reason why I am such a big advocate for interdisciplinary collaboration, especially in the valuation process, is because then you're seeing a more holistic picture of the child or the individual. And in terms of AEC, there's so many different things that you need to think about. And for the speech therapists, we're not only evaluating their receptive and expressive communication skills, but we're also looking in terms of, okay, what are their strengths? What can they do? And then matching a language to that child. And the OT can come in with the other piece of like, okay, here's these other things that we also need to think about for the perfect system. And also the OT can bring in a great perspective in terms of, I mean, at the end of the day, we're giving the child the right to communicate. Communication is basic right. And I think that goes very well along with the OT scope of practice because in OT, you're giving children access to occupations or individuals access to occupations. And communication is what helps participate in any occupation. Right. That's great. Yeah. So when you guys are working together, are you guys able to, if you have a client, are you able to do different pieces and parts together? Are you doing your evaluation components separately or are you ever actually working with the client at the same time? I'm just kind of curious what that might actually look like. You know, you're both having your areas of expertise, but what does that really look like? Is is the student working with one of you and then another one? Or do you kind of do it holistically together? How does that work for you? So it highly depends on the setting that you're in. And the setting that we are in, we are fortunate enough to have something set up as co-evaluation. So you're really laying eyes on the child at the same exact time and interacting in the same environment. Obviously, it looks a little bit different in the COVID world and the virtual world. So now what we would do just due to safety precautions, we would be in separate rooms. But that collaboration piece, even if we are doing evaluations or laying eyes on the child separately, we are collaborating after the fact. And every family that we interact with, we really talk to the family about how much we are going to collaborate ongoing. So I can call up Annabeth after I see this child and she saw the child and be like, hey, I saw XYZ. What did you see? Here's what I'm thinking, but I really need help because I thought that I really struggled with what sensory processing was going on or something. And then she could tell me her perspective. And then from there, we can really get the most comprehensive 
picture of the strengths and the challenges that we are working with. That's great. So where are you so when you do these evaluations, are you typically using an iPad with different applications for AAC or are you talk me through that a little bit or are you asking yourself and kind of clinically thinking is this student going to be somebody who's using a picture exchange system or AAC, you know, like or an iPad? I think that's kind of I think for listeners they'll be interested to see like so your thought process. And I know it's going to be different based on every student. But if you have a student, let's say a five-year-old student or, you know, somebody that's coming in that maybe doesn't have a functional way to communicate and is really struggling to to find their voice, um, what are some things that you... Do you have like devices in your clinic or different apps that you are available to you to trial? I always think it's interesting to kind of hear how everybody kind of approaches that. Yeah. So... We, if we are able to, um, and we have a lot of background information and know that this client coming in is going to be a potential AAC user, we try to have a consultation with that family to gather as much information as we can ahead of time before they ever even come in for the full evaluation um, so that we're able to plan for the type of equipment that we want to trial in that first initial few hour evaluation. So we do have an iPad that has a number of different AAC applications on it. So we'll have that available. We also, if there's a child that we say, hey, we have enough information that we're able to say, yes, we want to get this specific speech generating device in the clinic at this moment, we'll reach out to vendors ahead of time as well. Sometimes for those kiddos, we'll also wait until after we meet them and see them through that initial evaluation period. Um, And then we also, in terms of alternative access, we have a lot of that equipment in-house as well. So we've got a variety of switches. We've got different mounting systems. Um, We have some creative ways to make key guards because I feel like that's just always different. And we, you know, you can't anticipate what size icons you're going to use, what that display system is going to look like. So we're um, frequently using uh, wiki sticks to make some (laughs) makeshift key guards in the moment, just to do a quick evaluation of whether or not that would be helpful. Yeah. So we... We work with what we have. And uh-huh. again, I think that we get as, like you said, it's going to look a little bit different for every single child, mm-hmm. um, what we're going to be able to get on that first evaluation. And then when we do go through and make those recommendations, we have options in our clinic to do high frequency programs or to do a more traditional level of weekly therapy. Okay. That's so interesting. I was just talking with somebody else about AAC and we were just talking about how you just have to be creative. Every user is going to need something different and how, you know, I've been practicing almost 20 years now. So I say I'm seasoned, but I was just talking to somebody who's been in the field about 40 years and she was just, we were just kind of reminiscing going down the road of like, remember back in the day when, you know, like I would have students who needed a specific care or they didn't want to use a handle and, you know, we would use repurpose different things so they could carry the device in different ways. Um, But I like that idea of of wiki sticks. And so a key guard, can you just talk to our audience a little bit about a key guard? I think that most people will probably know what that is, but can you tell us just from the OT and kind of speech perspective, why a key guard might be something that would be important for a student? And if a speech therapist hasn't used something like that before, why that might be something to analyze for their client? Yeah. So a key guard is basically an overlay that lays on top of the device screen and it gives a little bit more tactile feedback and separation of each of the individual icons that are on the screen. So for kids who have challenges with that motor component, it can be super, super helpful. It can also give a little bit of tactile feedback for kids who might have lower vision as well. I've used it 
in those cases sometimes so that they're able to do that motor planning a little bit more easily or if the visual motor piece is challenging. So yeah, there's a variety of reasons why you might use one, but from an OT perspective, it helps with that precision piece. Okay. I think that's good to know because I think the thing that's hard about AAC, and I guess I've just been lucky to always kind of work with students with autism. So I've always kind of stayed up to date with what's going on with AAC. But I think if you don't really work with students who need AAC and then you have a student who you think would be a good candidate, it feels a little scary. Like, how do we get started? I mean, now that we have iPads and we can get different applications to use, I think that makes it a little bit easier. But a lot of different companies have dedicated sale. I mean, they're really sales staff and customer service support. Like, so the state of Ohio, where I live, you know, the different companies that are the main AAC companies do have vendors and they will actually come out to your place of work. You can get different loaner devices. And I think that if you have never really used AAC, you may just not know about some of those different things. And actually practicing 20 years, I actually have never had a student. I think I've had one student who used a key guard. You know, so they're kind of low incidence things. So it's cool to have you on just to talk about those things. I know to you, that seems like it's so second nature because you probably have a lot of students who use key guards. But a lot of people probably maybe don't use those things or even know if they have a client who's like kind of struggling with, you know, regulating where to touch on the device that a key guard might be something really nice because not every OT or not every speech therapist is as well-versed or feels as comfortable. I think that's the thing too with AAC, you know, from a speech therapy standpoint, we were talking about modeling before with AAC and it's kind of hard if you don't know what's in the device, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to be able to model what's in there. So that kind of segues into, okay, we've done this great assessment. It's been collaborative. Can you talk to us a little bit about intervention and also maybe Maybe even talk to us about how you work with parents, because I know it's just a parent of three kids who are actually typically developing. Anytime I get something new from a parental perspective, you know, I want to know, like, how do I use this? I might be unsure. And so I'm sure some parents are feeling very unsure. Like, if I use AAC, does that mean my student's not going to be a verbal communicator? I'm sure you guys hear a lot of these things. So talk us through a little bit about the collaborative intervention piece and kind of that parent training and, and parent coaching and how we can kind of support parents through this AAC journey. Absolutely. So in just the communication journey in general, when talking to parents, I feel like that's definitely, that's a whole team effort, but really the SLP's responsibility to start out that conversation and then train the team members on the specific approach that we're using. So I'm a big proponent of multimodal communication. And that's just to give the student any access to any means of communication. So in that initial eval, like Annabeth said, we're going to bring in all these things, but we're also going to bring in low tech and we're also going to trial some signs that we know and we're going to trial verbal speech. And a lot of parents really are, I want verbal speech. And so you kind of have to spend some time debunking some myths of AAC, which are no, using AAC does not inhibit verbal speech. It will only promote it. What we're doing is giving your child an option to communicate. And the way that they communicate might look a little different, but yes, our ultimate goal of verbal speech can still be worked towards. And that's still the ultimate goal, if that's what you would like. But we want communication. So we want them to be able to say their wants and needs, say their thoughts, share their ideas, 
and communicate. And it doesn't really matter which way they do that because I guess the way that I think of it is like, if you had a child who can say hi, but they can also wave and they wave, are you going to make them say hi? You're not going to make them say hi too. You're going to accept the wave as a communication or as a gesture to initiate that conversation and go about your day, I guess. So that's kind of where we initially spend a lot of time with parents is just really coaching them through that multimodal communication will only promote communication and access to all of their environment right? and reduce frustrations and mm-hmm. just give, give them a way to share what they want to share. And so let's see, now backtracking to kind of um, where we would... Sorry, I am lost my Oh, that's okay. Collaborative. So that's a great, the coaching model is really great for parents because I think that's really hard for parents. You know, anything new, it's it's just hard. I mean, I have three kids of my own and just if we need to like read on Epic, you know, I just did that with my kids before I popped onto the podcast and it was like, okay, what's my password? How do I get on it? You know, just implementing anything new into the family system. And I'm very systematic. Like the BCBA SLP in me is very, you know, I have like, book bins and I try to rotate the books and I try to, you know, I try to do all the good parent things. But I think embedding anything new, like an AAC device for parents is really, you know, it's really overwhelming to do anything new like that. So I guess with the interdisciplinary approach, I'm wondering, do you guys do any co-treating? Like uh, one big thing that I try to talk about a lot is especially is having shared goals. So I may have this idea of having a shared goal more with, I talk about with intervention specialists or special education teachers, where we may have a goal that the student is going to follow one-step directions throughout the larger school environment. And so I may work on that when I see the student for speech therapy. And then when the student is not in speech therapy, which is most of the week, then the teacher or the paraprofessional, the team members are going to embed opportunities to work on that skill. So do you guys do any shared intervention planning or any kind of treatment together? Or are you just mostly doing a collaborative assessment? Talk to us a little bit about that. So we definitely do a lot of co-treating, we are very fortunate in our setting to be able to do that. And so from an insurance perspective, we're in private practice. And so we're not always billing for a co-treatment, I guess we should say. Mm -hmm. And we always do have then separate plans of care. So I'll have my OT plan of care. Mara will have her speech plan of care. But we build those initial plans of care together. And so we're building them so they complement each other. And I know that I'm still going to be working on the goals that Mara has. And she's still going to be working on the goals that I have, even though we're each sort of separately taking our data for that for each of those goals. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that as much as we can, we try to co-treat again in this COVID world. It's a little bit different, but we've even been creative about that. And like, if we have, um, especially if we have newer therapists who are treating kids who are AAC users and especially are complex AAC users, and there is that big learning curve for the therapists, then that's a great opportunity for a co-treat then to also facilitate learning for the therapists in session and to learn from those interdisciplinary team members. So we try to do a lot of that. We've even done that like via Zoom. So if one person is treating in person, the other therapist can be Zooming into that session. So that's been an exciting silver lining of (laughs) of the pandemic, I guess. But yeah, we there are definitely times that we're treating separately, Uh but we at least specifically in our 
relationship, we've gained so many additional competencies and it really expanded our own scopes from learning from each other. And so I feel like, you know, I'm never treating as an SLP, but I do have a lot of perspective that I've gained over many years of treating alongside really awesome SLPs. Yeah, I love that. That's so great. And you know, with AAC, I just feel like there's so much to learn. Um, You know, if somebody wants to learn more about AAC, you know, what are some resources or how would somebody improve their competency, you know, with AAC? Absolutely. That's one of the biggest barriers that we have discussed many times in terms of AAC is such a a niche area. And there's so, so much knowledge to learn about it so that if you haven't had experience, how do you gain competence in AAC? So some of the things that Annabeth and I specifically recommend is continuing education and looking outside of your own field for continuing education. So it might not count towards your national organization, but If I need to learn more about alternative access, which is in AAC, the child is not using their finger to select something, I might look into an OT forum or something and they would have some more resources or just, I mean, any any conference, any continuing education on that topic, I would just recommend like immersing yourself in all of those presentations that you can go to. There's some really great information out on the social media accounts, either like Facebook groups or Instagram with that. I mean, as any social media, you have to kind of filter it and use your own clinical judgment to assess the the claims and everything. But you can definitely reach out to those social media accounts and see if they have any certain opportunities for mentorship or opportunities for continuing education and really just finding yourself a mentor. So if you, someone in the field who's been in the field longer than you, who might have a little bit more experience or someone in another field. So when Annabeth and I kind of collaborated as friends, we both used each other as mentors because she had more experience in that alternative access world of AAC. Whereas I had more experience in just the basics of like selecting a language system or expressive and receptive language, kind of the SLP scope. But together, when we mentored each other, we now can more holistically look at the communicator. Yeah, that's great. I love I love that collaboration piece because while, you know, I definitely have learned a lot from my OT friends. And I think you just look at things differently when you have an idea of some of the things that are going on in other disciplines. So I think what you're doing is really, really great. Um, I always ask this last question of guests and I'm going to ask you this kind of our final question here. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to another professional or parent about working with students with autism or students who use AAC? That is a loaded question. (laughs) I think the first, the very first thing that came to my mind just now is to presume competence. I feel like that is just so important for all of our AAC users, for all of our clients with autism, for really any client that we're working with, regardless of whether you are working specifically on communication or another skill. It's just such an important thing to instill that confidence 
in the learner themselves. And maybe the other thing I, I the other thing I was going to say was to find yourself a <laughs> interdisciplinary mentor. Yeah. And that is something that really can help you to build your skills so much as a clinician. But absolutely. I love that. I think that's great. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. It was so fun talking with you. Where can people find you on the internet? Is Instagram the best place or do you guys have a website? Let us know where we can learn more. So our Instagram is probably the best and easiest place or easiest handle, but is that at the Fanny Pack Therapist. That's our Instagram handle. And then we do have a website. You know what? You can tell me in the show notes too. I bet you guys will will have it in the show notes. But the Fanny Pack Therapist over on Instagram, if you guys are on Instagram, I mean, I hope you are because I'm over there too a lot. Okay, every day. But you guys have a lot of good info and just nice little things about AAC, things you can pick up here and there, but really great information. So make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed today. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep keep things fun and functional, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.